one of the things that I love about Park Street Church, as I am getting to know you better, is that we are a diverse body. We sometimes talk about ourselves as being a big tent church, meaning that we have a lot of generational and ideological and political and economic and ethnic diversity. And it is a beautiful thing to behold. It gives each of us a great opportunity to grow and mature in Christ. And I hope that God continues to bless us as a church family with greater diversity. At the same time, because of this diversity, I think you know where I'm going here, there is a real danger that we will not understand or listen to each other in the church and that we will begin to reflect within the church the increasing polarization of our culture rather than our shared identity in Jesus and participation in the spirit. There is a danger that we'll let our differing views on matters like politics or the pandemic or reopening or how we are to work out the call to justice in the world that will let these differences divide us. And I just want to caution us again and against this kind of division on this Pentecost Sunday, this day when we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. There are so many dimensions to the work of the Spirit in our lives, all of which would be worthwhile in terms of considering. And one day maybe we'll do a series on the Spirit. But on today, this day, I want to draw out one primary implication of the Spirit's work, which is the Spirit's work of unifying us in the church. As this is displayed for us in this original account of the day of Pentecost long ago in Acts chapter 2. So we will consider this in three points. The universal reach of God's salvation. Second, the unification or reconciliation of diverse peoples into one body. And then third, the preservation of diversity in the midst of this unity. But before we jump into those three points, let's just relish in the fact of this day, the wonderful and amazing gift that is the Holy Spirit for each of our lives and for the church. You might remember Jesus's words to his disciples in John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And this is an astonishing point that Jesus is making. It's better, he says, that I leave you physically so that the Spirit can come and dwell in you. Why? Because the Spirit is the very person, presence, and power of God, just like Jesus. But unlike Jesus, who came to dwell among us, the Spirit has come to dwell in us, to fill us that we might be renewed and remade and empowered to life and witness in God's people. Like the presence of God filling the temple in Exodus 40 or in 1 Kings chapter 8, God's very presence now comes in the Spirit, in the person of the Spirit, to fill his new temple people, the body of Christ, that's you and me, those of us who have faith, who have responded to the gospel by faith in Jesus. And God has come to fill us with his glorious, empowering, and holy presence. That is the amazing gift of this day that we celebrate in the church calendar, the day of Pentecost. Now let's then turn to consider the unifying work of the Spirit as we see it portrayed in Acts chapter 2. So first is the universal reach of God's salvation. There are several details given to us in the first four verses of Acts chapter 2. 
There is the sound like a mighty rushing wind in verse 2. And then there is in verse 3 the divided tongues as of fire that appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Both of these phenomena, uh, noise and fire, are associated with theophanies, manifestations of the presence of God in the Old Testament. And so these phenomena here in Acts 2 show us and point to us the reality of the presence of God entering the room with his disciples that day. Here was another moment when heaven and earth would meet. But the detail to which our account and to which Luke, the author, focuses our attention is the phenomenon that he mentions in verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These first Christians were miraculously empowered by the Spirit to speak languages that they did not know, but which diverse peoples in the multicultural, multinational, multilingual gathering in Jerusalem because of the Feast of Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks, a feast celebrating the first fruits of the summer harvest that came to be associated with the giving of the law at Sinai. They had gathered together in Jerusalem and they are now hearing these men speak in their native tongue. Luke emphasizes the representative universality of this gathering in Jerusalem by saying in verse 5 that it included devout men from every nation under heaven. This is a bit of hyperbole, of course, but Luke's point is that this group represents all of humanity, people from the four corners of the earth, with Jerusalem at the center, the 15 regions that Luke mentions in verses 9 through 11 represent those from northwest, northeast, southwest, and southeast of Jerusalem. All four corners of the earth. And this gathering, this diverse gathering, was bewildered in verse 6. They were amazed and astonished in verse 7. They were perplexed in verse 12 at what they were witnessing. These Galileans, they say in verse 7, and those from Galilee were not exactly known for their fine and refined culture or linguistic abilities. They were kind of in the sticks, but they were the ones that were speaking the mighty works of God in their own languages. This was astonishing. And so they asked, and so we ask with them, what does this mean? Verse 12. When Peter preaches the first Christian sermon, it's such a powerful sermon, to address this question, he begins by quoting to them the prophet Joel from Joel chapter 2. And he says, look, the first thing you need to recognize is this is the fulfillment of God's longstanding promise that the spirit would one day be poured out on all flesh. In verse 17 irrespective of their status of gender, of age, of rank. And second, this is the, the dawn of the last days, the new age, the new covenant age, when everyone, that's an important word, who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All flesh, verse 17, everyone, verse 21, clearly the emphasis here is upon this key feature of the new covenant age, the universal reach of God's salvation, which had taken place in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, and now the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon people of all kind. The Spirit's empowerment 
in this day of Pentecost is what enables the universal scope of God's salvation to be proclaimed. They're proclaiming the mighty works of God in the tongues of those who have gathered in Jerusalem for the feast. And that's an astonishing, miraculous event that shows us that what God has done in Jesus is meant for the entire world. I love that this church has a great history of being of participating in the global missionary effort of the church by sending and supporting and training and equipping missionaries who've gone to the far reaches of the globe to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. That, that trajectory began here at Pentecost and it was symbolically portrayed at Pentecost with the nations coming to Jerusalem and then hearing in the spirit the declaration of the mighty acts of God and coming at the end of the sermon, 3,000 believe, repent and believe and receive the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit at the end of that sermon. It is the beginning of that global reach and we have been able to participate in that as a church over the last 200 years. Our particular focus in the present on unreached peoples on Bible translation, on reaching the Muslim world, these are extensions of that global reach of God's salvation that all are to hear and to come to know and trust and believe in Jesus and be given the gift of new life, being reborn in the spirit. So this is the first point, the universal reach of God's salvation, that the spirit, the giving of the spirit enables and portrays for us in this account of the original day of Pentecost when the Spirit came. The second point is a, a corollary to this first point, and it needs to be mentioned with this first point. That is that God is calling a diverse people to himself through the Spirit-empowered witness of the church, and that this necessitates and enables the unification or reconciliation of these diverse peoples to one another in Christ. This point is not quite as much on the surface of our text as the first one, but the Pentecost event narrated in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 2 point us in this direction. Since the early centuries of the church, commentators have seen in the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost a direct reversal and undoing of the curse and the penalty and the judgment upon human beings at Babel in Genesis 11. The building of the Tower of Babel represented the depths of human sin. And whatever pre precisely that sin at Babel was, the judgment is that God scatters humanity and confuses our language. In our sin, we are divided and frustrated. That, as we know, throughout human history has led to rivalry and violence and oppression on a personal level, a communal level, and of course, a national level. And we need not really be reminded of that today as so we have been this past week through the ongoing conflict between Israel and, and the Palestinians that has erupted again recently. We thank God for the recent ceasefire and pray that that will continue. But in Pentecost, that trajectory of division and violence and oppression, the work of sin to splinter and divide is overcome. And this is signified by the miraculous overcoming of the language barrier through the gift of the Spirit. At Babel, we reached up to the heavens in a unified fashion and we were driven apart. At Pentecost, 
heaven came down to us in the midst of a multicultural gathering that represented the entire world and brought a deeper union, a union that embraces people from every nation under heaven. In Christ, we are unified in him by the spirit. And we are then brought, therefore, in that unity to one another. There is one new humanity in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about this. And in that one new humanity, quoting Colossians 3.11, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is wonderful news to a broken world. And this is what is portrayed to us in this Pentecost event. And it's then powerfully expanded as we continue in the narrative of, of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 10. In overcoming the massive barrier of that day, the one between Jew and Gentile. Cornelius and his household, who are Gentiles, receive the spirit after Peter, following the, the divine revelation through a dream and a, a vision Peter, a Jew, enters his home, which he would never have done the day before, and preaches the gospel about Jesus to them. And the Spirit comes upon them. And Peter is overwhelmed. The dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile is now broken down. And God, through his Spirit, is making this one new humanity in Christ. And this is God's work. When Peter is explaining what happened at Cornelius' house to those in Jerusalem, they were complaining that he had crossed this great ethnic barrier. And then he tells them the story of how God moved and led him to do this. And then he says, if then God gave them the same gift as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, this gift was the Holy Spirit. Who was I, he said, that I could stand in God's way? This is the work of God to bring together the diverse peoples of the world under one head whose name is Jesus. And to empower us in the spirit to a new kind of life together that the world desperately needs to see this is God's intention this is God's work and this is portrayed for us at Pentecost these diverse peoples from every corner of the earth have come together heard the gospel and responded in faith and become brothers and sisters in Christ this is what God was doing in the cross of Jesus and through the spirit that now comes upon the people unifying a diverse people into one worshiping body this is his plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, as Paul says in Ephesians 1.10. And if this is God's plan, portrayed here at Pentecost with people from every nation under heaven, then it means that today, as the church, we must take this unifying work of God, enabled and empowered through the Holy Spirit, very, very seriously. It is this for which Jesus prays in his final prayer in John chapter 17, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. As such, we, the church today, empowered by the Holy Spirit, are to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we do not eagerly work to maintain this, we're actually working against the express will of Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that unity is a kind of absolute in one sense, for there is no unity outside of the truth of Christ. He is the one absolute. 
One 20th century Baptist preacher said, It is better to be divided by truth than united in error. Today, truth is being sacrificed on the altar of unity. And that is a fair and important warning for us to hear as the church today. There is no unity outside of Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Who is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But we must at the same time as we acknowledge that. Walk in step with the spirit. When it comes to our polemics, our debates, and our disputes. We must engage them with the knowledge that what unites us. Which is Jesus and his spirit is more powerful and more substantial than what may ever divide us. So we are to work hard to maintain the unity that God has given to us. We didn't create it. He did. In Christ. By the Spirit. So there is this universal reach. Of God's salvation. Which secondly then brings this unifying work of diverse peoples into one new body. And third. Our third point from this text in the Pentecost event. Is the preservation of diversity in the midst of this unity. And our story illustrates this for us. Through the Holy Spirit, God miraculously puts the testimony of his mighty works in the diverse languages of the people gathered in Jerusalem. The act of union with God and subsequent union with one another does not obliterate the distinctives of those who come to believe. Rather, and we see it in this story, through his spirit, God actually works toward greater unity through the differences themselves. In this case, the linguistic differences. Thus, acknowledging, honoring, and using those differences as the means by which his universal reach would come about. In other words, the unification of diverse peoples is not created by taking away difference and replacing it with homogeneity. It comes rather through redeeming different peoples in Christ and unifying them into one new worldwide multicultural family. To say, as we saw earlier, as Colossians 3 does, that there is not Greek, Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, is not to say that our ethnicity, social location, gender, language, or culture, all things which deeply shape who we are, are to be set aside when we come to Jesus. Far from it, actually. What this and other passages like it affirm is that these distinctions are not, are not required to be set aside, but rather that there is equality and unity in Christ in terms of salvation and belonging. We are all sinners saved by grace through faith. There is no distinction. Whatever our, our unique cultural identities, we all equally belong to Christ who is all and in all. And Christ, whom we have in common, far outweighs our differences and gives us the power to actually be united through them by the Spirit. By our unique cultures, ethnicities, and experiences. These things that remain, we are then actually enabled to enhance the life of God's people. Through this multiplicity of perspectives and backgrounds and cultures that are brought together in the body of Christ. Which is to say that we remain Jew or Greek, 
white or black or Asian, American or English, Armenian or Nigerian, Korean or Chinese, Indian or Japanese, rich or poor, educated or uneducated, male and female. These differences, if we bring them humbly into the body of Christ, and if we remember that they are secondary always to our primary identity in Jesus and to the blood of Christ that unites us into one family as his people, then we might use these, then these differences might enable us to experience a richer and deeper expression of the glory and wonder of God, who is the author of our diversity. When we gaze upon each other, we gaze upon one made in the image of God, who as such reflects the glory of God. One whose unique story and person gives us access to seeing God in ways that we could not see God otherwise. And this is true for us as individuals and true for whole cultures as well. There is unity, but the unity doesn't take away the diversity and the difference. And that diversity and difference contributes to the rich texture of the multicultural worldwide family of the people of God that begins here in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. Now, this wonderful vision of God's work, God always intended to have a worldwide community under Abraham. Remember, in, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that intention is then climaxing in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And in the outpouring of the Spirit, now God's intention to bring blessing. Not to leave us in the divided and rivalry of, of the post-Babel world. But to bring about, through, through this, this particular people that gets focused on Jesus himself, this new family that is unified. That beautiful vision is what we are now called in the power of the Spirit to embrace and walk into, both here at Park Street Church and with all other churches, not only in our city and our commonwealth, but around the nation and the world. It's an astounding vision that God gives us in his word. But it's not easy to live into. The bringing together of diverse peoples always involves friction. And actually, if we follow the narrative in the book of Acts, we see that by Acts chapter 6, we have the Hebraic widows and the Hellenistic Jewish widows, both Jewish, but Hebraic and Hellenistic, at odds with one another over how they're being cared for. Or if we play it out further in the New Testament, we see the strong and the weak in Romans 14 and 15, being exhorted by the Apostle Paul to welcome one another as God has welcomed them. And in many other places, there is conflict. And we see that in our own experience here at Park Street Church as well. It is challenging to bring a diverse group of people together. And it is very easy in sin to resist God's intention. It is easy for our differences to become the occasion of division rather than the occasion for mutual strengthening, enhancement, and edification. It's easy for us to take one perceived threatening difference between ourself, ourselves and someone else and make it the central concern and miss our deeper unity in Christ altogether. But this unity and diversity is a gift given to us by God, by his spirit. And this is something that we are to work hard to maintain. Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 3 that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Which means that we are to live into this unity, to work at it, to make every effort, to push hard to maintain it. We don't create it, God does, but we maintain it. And yet, not half-heartedly, but eagerly so. 
We all know that Paul gives the church this exhortation in Ephesians 4 because it's really easy for us not to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It is easy for us to walk not by the spirit, but by the flesh and to bring about division and factions and mistrust in the church or to perpetuate them. How then might we live into the intention of God for the unity among his people through the work of the spirit that began on Pentecost long ago? And I ask this because I actually think that we have a unique opportunity at Park Street Church, one that is exciting to me because of our substantial diversity to embody the unifying work of the spirit in a powerful way. But to do that, we must be eager we must make every effort to walk by the Spirit. Paul is clear in 1 Corinthians 12. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one Spirit. The Spirit who was first given to the church at Pentecost drew us into a unified body from all our diversity. So how might we maintain this? Let me offer a few thoughts as we come to a close. The first I've just said, but I'll say again, we walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. The spirit who was given on Pentecost, as we learn of him more and more throughout the New Testament, is the spirit that enables us to hold together in one body, despite our differences. Think about the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter five, love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit enables community to actually exist and take place across great diversity. The Spirit enables us to hold together in a real way. In the flesh, on the contrary, we bite one another, we devour one another, we envy one another, we tear one another down. In the Spirit... If we walk by the Spirit, we are patient, forgiving, meek, humble, and generous with one another. And these are the qualities and attributes that enable the multicultural worldwide community of God's people to be one. It is as we walk by the Spirit. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit says the Lord of hosts. Walk by the Spirit. Is there, has there ever been a greater time for the church to stand up and be the church in a culture that is increasingly polarized, increasingly unable to see the common humanity in those who disagree with us politically or ideologically? What an opportunity it is for us as the church, particularly a diverse church like Park Street, to show to the world the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It's an incredible moment, actually, for the church to stand up and say, we are the church of God. And what defines us, what unifies us, what holds us together in Christ by the spirit is so much greater than anything that could ever take us apart. And we want to show you. So then my second encouragement is let's have conversations together about those topics over which we may strongly disagree I'm not saying that it's always wise for us to focus on areas of disagreement or difference. Sometimes it may be best not to. But what I do want to say to us as the church is that we need not be afraid 
as there is fear out in the culture, in the church, we need not be afraid to bring up matters over which we may have genuine disagreement, maybe even passionately so. Because what we've been uniquely given in the spirit is this deep measure of unity in Christ that enables us then to confront those differences without demonizing, dismissing, polarizing away from one another, but actually in a demonstration of our deeper love and bond in Christ by the Spirit. So let's learn to have those conversations together. Think about perhaps a relationship that is only defined on a conversation around how the Bruins are doing in the NHL playoffs. That friendship may have some measure of, you know, reality to it, but it's quite truncated and quite limited if it's unable to talk about many other things that are important to either person in that friendship. We've been called in the church to deep relationships of love in Jesus. And our relationships of love will be truncated to the degree that there are certain matters in the world and in our own lives that we're unwilling to talk about together. Instead, as the church, we can talk freely, generously, graciously, humbly, but freely with one another about all manner of things. And in those conversations, I believe that we'll begin to see one another even more wholly and completely as image bearers of God with our own struggles and challenges, our own dimensions of our humanity that will enable us to actually grow deeper in love for one another as the body of Christ. Let's learn to have conversations together. Let's not be afraid as the world is afraid. A third thing I would say in last week's Park Street Dialogues podcast episode, I talked with Enoch Lau from BCEC, the Boston Chinese Evangelical Church. This is a Chinese heritage church that has campuses both in Chinatown here downtown and also in Newton. And it is a church with a dramatic amount of diversity. Three languages, Cantonese, Mandarin, and English. They have services in all three. Socioeconomic diversity, the diversity of those who were born overseas versus those who were born here in America, and great generational diversity as well. And I asked Enoch, how do you handle that kind of diversity? What, what, what have you learned? And his response was great. He simply said, long-suffering relationship building. Long-suffering relationship building. Let's be committed to one another over the long haul. Long-suffering, being patient, bearing with one another in love, Colossians 3. In order that we might come to a deeper sense of our relationship in Christ together. Are there people in this church with whom you strongly disagree? Yes, there are. I know that. Are there people whose perspectives on various questions challenge or differ from your own? Of course there are. Then my encouragement, and this is a practical step of encouragement for you in the weeks ahead is to reach out to one of those people. And I have to be careful now because if you're being reached out to from someone this week, you might think, well, now I know how they really feel about me. But I want to encourage you over the next few weeks to reach out to someone within this church family with whom you think you have a, maybe a, a strong difference and invite them to lunch or to coffee and sit down and have a conversation. Listen to a bit of their story. Try to, without defensiveness, understand a bit of their perspective, maybe on the matter of difference that you think you may have. And then finish your time in prayer together. Praying to the same Lord in the same spirit. 
and allow God to work through those little micro meetings throughout the work, the, the, the family of this church in a way that would bring deeper bonds of affection and unity and expressions of our unity in the spirit. Prayerfully consider taking an action step like that. As we do so, I believe that we will more and more embody what we see portrayed for us on that day of Pentecost long ago when the Spirit came upon the church and demonstrated the universal reach of God's salvation, the unity of a diverse people now in the Spirit and in Christ, and the maintenance of diversity in the midst of that unity. That is who we are called to be, not just alone at Park Street Church, but with the one church of God in Jesus throughout the world. May God make it so. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit who unifies and deepens our bonds. We pray that we will continue to operate in step with you, O Spirit of God, that you would fall fresh upon us as your people, that we might embody to our world your purposes, O God, of a worldwide community of people who are blessed by your hand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.